I think it's going to be over the next 30 years or so that we see like true, proper change and equality and integration because it will be the, it's got to be those generations that have grown up being told this for their whole lives and not us who grew up bowing to sort of societal norms and now are turning around and going, no, 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 but actually, you know, this and that and this. It's, we're doing all of this work because that's when it's going to really actually count. That was Marika Hackman, and this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission. To turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. A sigh can mean so many things from sadness, anxiety, depression, and frustration to relief, comfort, pleasure, and love. Enter Big Sigh, an apt title for the brand new album from UK singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer Marika Hackman. Her fifth full-length album and first of original material in four years. Written during a time when worry about breathing in close proximity to one another, let alone sighing, was at its peak, the pandemic saw Marika Hackman return home to be with her family, which brought on both feelings of pastoral childhood nostalgia and reflections on how it stood in stark contrast to her adulthood. In today's conversation, you'll hear how Marika Hackman broke out of a creative dry spell to write and record this incredible collection of songs over two and a half years, embodying a whole new level of confidence that saw her playing nearly everything you hear on the record other than the gorgeously arranged strings and brass, as well as finally taking the reins as a producer and how incredibly important yet still rare visibility in that role is as a queer woman. I am thrilled to welcome Marika Hackman as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Marika Hackman, welcome to Shiro's. I'm so psyched to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very, very happy to be here as well. Congratulations on Big Sigh, your fifth full-length album and your fourth full-length album of originals. Let's just dive right in. So I know that this was a long time in the making. Talk to us a little bit about the genesis of this album. Well, yeah, so it feels so far away now when it all kind of started. But I was kind of writing it over the course of a few years. It was a hard one to write and, and not because of subject matter or anything like that. I think it was just, obviously the world was pretty crazy. I mean, it still is, but a few years ago for different reasons. And it was kind of like the well of inspiration had just run dry and I'd taken some time off to like finally have a bit of a break because you don't really get that when you've been doing this for so long. And in hindsight, that was a big mistake in terms of creative flow. I think it kind of just like put a bit of a stopgap on my output. So yeah, it, it was quite hard to kind of like grind my way back into writing and then you kind of get halfway through and it starts flowing again. So I got there, obviously, (laughs) because the record is here. (laughs) But, you know, from the writing side, it was really difficult. And then I was going into the studio with songs also sort of half written and I was doing lyrics kind of in my lunch breaks and stuff like that, which isn't ever how I've worked before. I normally have everything kind of tied up in a little package before I go in. Yeah. So um, that was like another challenge. And then there was some changes to production and stuff like that halfway through and kind of, it was just a real, a real journey. It was like a quest, just, you know, that big, big slog for the Holy Grail, but 
actually, I think it's one of my favorites, if not my favorite now. So I'm very happy that it was difficult because I think every artist has to have that one that's kind of just a bit tougher than the rest. Totally. And it's like this moment, too, where I feel like, I don't know, you just turned 30, right, in the past few years. And this kind of synthesizes all of these various facets of you that you've been exploring sonically and lyrically over these years. And I just think it's amazing to watch artists go through that process musically, you know, from from the outside. You're like, oh, right. Like I can see the growth. You can see how, you know, and this is what it's supposed to be when you age is like eventually like all of these different sides of yourself that you explore, hopefully eventually start to kind of like come together. Yeah, you have a bit more of a hold on yourself, like yeah. not a full hold. Right. I don't think that I don't think that ever happens, but definitely like even from like a sonic point of view, you know, I've been doing this as a career for like 12 years, but I've been writing music for longer than that and the more you do something, the deeper an understanding you have of your own processes and how that works and to be challenged at this point in my career by my own processes was kind of refreshing but then also to know that like my grasp on myself and and what's kind of inside is a bit stronger i think the kind of combination of those two things meant that it was like these maybe slightly deeper more confident sentiments coming through but with a bit more playfulness when it came to the production and stuff like that And speaking of the production, this is also a big moment for you where you finally have been like, fuck yes, I'm the one who produced this (laughs) record. Like you're taking production credit. Talk to us a little bit about that moment for you. What brought you to this place where you finally feel really strong within yourself to be able to say that out loud and what that felt like in process? Yeah, I mean, actually, it still feels quite kind of scary to even have that said out loud because it feels immediately like I have this feeling like, oh, like, how do I talk about this? Like, do I deserve this and that kind of stuff? And then it's like, no, that's the reason it's taken so long. Like I would say that looking back from the first things I was making in the studio, I had a hand in the production even then. And production is such a wide span, everything that that entails. And a lot of the time, if someone's just sitting behind the computer or behind the desk, they get called the producer but actually coming up with ideas, arrangements and all that kind of stuff is such a huge part of that. And I've always had a big hand in that. But I think I just always felt quite happy to sit back. Just it felt easier, like I could take a back seat in terms of, you know, labeling it. And actually, when I did the covers album, which I just recorded at home, that felt like the really big step forward because it was just like something I'd done completely solo. So I knew it was like, okay, well, this definitely, definitely was me. Uh, then coming back into making other records, I just felt a lot more confident to be like, oh, well, actually, yes, I am worthy of this. And I did do that. <laughs> it really bears repeating that there are so few women and so few queer women that are in the production chair and behind the boards yeah. and mixing and engineering. And it's so tremendously important to be visible in that way. I can't underscore oh, yeah. that enough. And yeah. You know, we've been having a lot of conversations about that on this show. Like, I mean, we'll do this at the very end, but I do a thing at the end called the Shiro's Magic Wand where I'm like, okay, imagine a world where you get to change whatever you want. I'll tell you, like so many women that come on this show say, like, can we please get more 
women and queer, women and queer folks in the production seat. Yeah. Studios. Yeah. The studio is such a sensitive space. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think it's always that thing of if you see yourself in a role, it's so much easier to inhabit that role and to feel confident inhabiting that role as you get older and you learn more. It's also, I would say, a really big one for the live sector as well. Yes. It's, It's across both. And they're both very like sensitive and important in different ways. But obviously being on the road as a woman and finding myself a lot aged, you know, 19, 20, just surrounded by sort of like 10 or 11 men for five weeks is a very interesting thing to throw yourself into. Or yes, being in a really creative space, which is getting very deep and very personal. But I've been very lucky with the men that I've worked with and particularly Charlie Andrew, who I made on my first records and he's got co-production on a few of these tracks for Big Sigh because he's just a really, really lovely guy. And I feel very grateful that as a young woman, I was going into the studio with him, but it isn't necessarily the same as like seeing yourself sat in the driving seat or, you know, an incarnation of yourself. So yeah, it's very, very important. Why don't we get to a track? I know the first song that broke the dry spell for you was Hanging. And I don't know whether that's a good place to start today or if we start where the album begins. I'm going to kind of leave that to you. Oh, that's tough. I mean, you're right with Hanging. That's the watershed moment in terms of the process behind the record and the writing. Everything kind of followed that. So I think in a poetic way rather than a curated way, I think you're right. I think that's maybe what is where we should start. Why don't you tell us what happened with Hanging? I mean, it's a a classic sort of sad, romantic song. It's kind of dealing with those relationships that you find yourself in. And it's just gotten to that plateau and it's not a happy place for anyone to be in. And it's mean. You feel sort of suppressed. You're feeling squashed. And the big relief of coming out the other side of that. And that it's actually, there's no like ill will or ill feeling. If you listen to the lyrics, even as kind of heavy as they are, you know, it's like, I know you're not that cruel. You're not that person. It's that, yeah, you were a part of me. I'm so relieved. It hurts. Like, I'm glad I cared. I'm glad this happened. But also, you know, it can get pretty heavy. <laughs> to anticipate Cause every time we talk I suffocate Remember when he said I'm a disease And how you'd like to kill me in your dreams Find things 
That's Hanging, and it's halfway through this incredible new album by Marika Hackman called Big Sigh. It's her fifth full-length studio effort, and she's our guest today on Shiro's, and I'm Carmel Holt. Uh, what's that line in this song that just fucking crushes me? Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm going to pull it up. My heart won't grow with your fingers down my throat. It's a hard brown stone like an embryo. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> crushing. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that's quite a gnarly lyric. Yeah. I do like that one. I think that's the thing with Hanging as well. Like, it's one of my favorites off the record. And as hardcore as it is, I mean, as a writer, it's like, it's your dream scenario to be able like to push emotions as far as you can. Yeah. So I feel like I achieved that with Hanging and I'm, I'm quite proud of the lyrics of that one. They're like my favorite ones on there. So yeah, it's my top guy. I will say that I share that sentiment. <laughs> Before we went into the song, we were talking about how you have finally come forward and embraced your role as producer and the myriad meanings of being a producer. The other thing that's really, I think, so remarkable about this album is all of the arrangements and the instrumentation and the dynamic range. I mean, from like the very beginning, the first notes that you hear our piano. And then there's like an orchestral swell at the end of the ground. Talk to us a little bit about your journey there, how that came about, your vision for the album sonically and the role that piano took, especially as centerpiece here. Well, okay. So I'll start with the piano really, because I mean, I actually learned the piano when I was really young. It was my first instrument that I learned, but I also really struggled with reading music. I felt impatient with it. I like learning by ear, but being sort of forced to learn scales and arpeggios and everything like that, I just, I gave it up when I was like 13, 14, which is when I was playing all my other instruments, which were much more fun. And then I kind of, I've always loved noodling around on it, but I've never, again, it's like a confidence thing. I've always felt like, oh, I'm not really good enough at the piano to do that. So with this record, knowing that I wanted to maybe have a more kind of cinematic edge to it, and I think piano's the most cinematic instrument there is. I was writing on guitar on some of the tracks to start off with, like hanging. And then I was transposing those chords, which were in different tunings on the guitar as well. They're quite strange tunings, transposing those chords onto the piano and then putting it in like that. So kind of, yeah, just, it just changed the whole kind of context of the song, which was great. So then the piano took a bit of a through line and I kind of felt more confident. And then like writing The Lonely House, that was just me you know, writing on a piano, just messing around and playing with different sounds. And this kind of little melody came out of it. So that was really exciting to explore. And it's something that now going forward as well, I know is a kind of another string in the bow, as it were, to play with, which is really nice because yeah, it had been such a long time. But yeah, it was about cinematic landscapes, really, this record. I wanted to take really human experiences. And, and when I say that, I mean, sort of really like universal, but in their universalness, what, how would I say that? That they, you know, they're common, they're domestic, they're normal, but they're still there. They're still heavy and elevate that with the use of sort of like really beautiful organic sounds like strings and brass, piano, acoustic guitars, and then kind of completely invert it by having these really harsh industrial sounds coming in that were kind of add this really harsh dynamic to the whole thing and kind of take you by surprise, slap you around the face a little bit. Cause I feel like that's 
more akin to what life is really like as well. You can make everything feel romantic. You can make it feel like broad strokes, but then something's going to come and clang in and surprise you and be hard and heavy and abrasive. So it was kind of, yeah, just trying to capture a complete human experience, I suppose. And you did all the string arrangements as well. Yes, I did. Was that the first time that you've done that? I've done like co-string stuff, but I've actually never really recorded strings in this way before where we had an actual string ensemble and recorded them all live in a studio together playing. I've never really had the chance to do that. So it's just been like layering up with one person. So yeah, it was, I mean, that was amazing to like see, you know, six, seven people playing these parts that you've written back and not just on like a MIDI on a computer. It was one of my like top career moments, to be honest. Yeah. So I, I wrote the arrangements and then Sally Herbert, who was conducting and sort of sorting everything out. She then, I think, probably arranged them to the extent that they could be played by the right instruments rather than me just putting kind of music onto paper, if that makes sense. (laughs) Totally. And such an old school way of recording, you know, like you think of, you know, those images that you see of whatever, some of the most classic records, you know, being recorded with an orchestra, you know, right in front. Can you take us, maybe paint a little picture of what it was like in the studio and like what you were seeing in that moment? Yeah, so it was a studio called Rack Studio in London and me and my fellow producer Sam were in the control room, big sheet of glass. Through the glass, we had Sally standing in the middle and then I think, if I recall, I think it was seven string players all around her in a kind of horseshoe with loads and loads of mics everywhere and then the sound coming out it was just it was just incredible it's just such a different feeling and you're right it's so iconic and it's it's how strings should be recorded my biggest dream is to record with a full orchestra yes. i would love to write a record that was for a whole orchestra but it's very 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 expensive <laughs> <laughs> so you got to you got to you know shave the edges off and, sure. and get the kind of sentiment in there as much as you can right and also to be the record that you're finally taking production credit for and it being like that is really i don't know what can i say there's something like really moving about it it's like you're stepping into this new arena even though it's an old arena yeah you really like went big it's like go big or go home kind of thing (laughs) yeah i think it's like when these opportunities present Mm -hmm. themselves you've got to just jump in feet first and i've always been that kind of a person like i don't ever say no to anything because I'm scared. Like I made that decision really early on. I'll say no to things if I don't like agree with doing it or, you know, if it doesn't feel like it fits who I am, but I would never say no just because I was scared. And actually that's been a really great way of doing things because it means I haven't like put myself down into a box and I've been able to like cruise through and learn so much more than I would have if I hadn't taken risks basically. Yes, totally. And it just occurred to me that some of this or maybe all of this process happened during pandemic times. Yeah. And that's also sort of a moving image to think about. And I don't mean that in a cinematic way, but also kind of in a cinematic way, because so many of these records that were made over the last few years happened either in isolation or you know, in these stolen moments or layered where people were like literally passing stuff back and forth, you know, through the internet. 
you know, not such an easy thing to get a bunch of people together in a space like that to record live together. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky because we were on the tail end of it all by the time I started recording, but the big impact of that was actually in the writing because I was isolated and I didn't have any kind of stimulus going on apart from a bubbling level of stress. Right. (laughs) I think I was also, I was in the countryside. So I think being somewhere more rural actually really informed that my life being split between sort of like London and the, the countryside at that point, that collision is very, very present on the record. And I think coming back into London, everything feeling a bit different and this constant sort of threat of having to kind of get back out again into the countryside, it kind of, it's all in there. It's, it's hard when you're in the middle of it, you never know what's really going on. It's only when I reflect on these things and I, I talk to people like you where I suddenly go, oh, yes, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> And also, okay, so we're just like building this as we go, but cool to hear about your beginnings with piano. And if I'm getting this piece of the story right, when you're talking about being in the countryside, you were actually at your parents' place. Was this where you grew up? Was this where you may have had those early piano lessons? Well, it's not the same house I grew up in, but it's the same piano. Yes. From there you go. The house I grew up in. And also my grandma lives there as well. And she's a piano teacher. So she was instrumental in telling me and my brother to learn our scales. So yeah, there's definitely all these elements in there. I think as well, that feeling of escaping into my childhood set up in terms of like being surrounded by my family in that moment. And then being kind of spat out into adulthood and responsibility again. Because like I, I went into the countryside, back to my family, and I decided I wasn't going to work. Like I wasn't going to even try and write because it just all felt so kind of chaotic. And I just took it as an opportunity to have some downtime. And then it was like, I think it only further cemented my kind of fears and ideas about like adulthood and responsibility and like my London life and being, you know, a grown up, which is quite scary a lot of the time and you know you you kind of never quite get used to it especially if you've had an experience like that with your family very recently and again this is all stuff that's in there and I would say less lyrically but it's all in the sonics of the record these kind of themes this kind of pastoral nostalgic sound mixed with this kind of intense rush of being a grown-up I remember talking to Lindsay Jordan, snail mail. Oh, yeah. Snail mail. Yeah. And she spent a bunch of time at home. I think a lot of people did during the pandemic. And like, I think she was going through a breakup probably. And she was like back in her childhood bedroom. And she was saying how being back with her family in some ways really brought her kind of back down to earth, like after this incessant touring that she'd been doing and lots of success, you know, that it grounded her in this new way where she felt like she was able to return to the core version of herself, like when she first was writing songs. And I wondered whether some of that was at play for you, too. I think about you going back to that piano that you learned on, like, was there a reconnection in some way to a younger version of yourself? I think so. I mean, I think it's very common if you spend time with your family when you don't see them very much as well, that it's, you kind of go back into that mentality very quickly, which is why there's often a lot of kind of arguments around the dinner table. And right, stuff right, like right. That. Like, I can go either way. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me, it was mainly the 
being a musician, you know, you're on a, a hamster wheel, really. Like I started when I was 19, which is actually just when we'd moved into that house that my parents now live in. And it's, you're on a constant cycle, which I love because it's different every time and it's exciting. And this is why I love this job, but it's, you know, you spend time writing, which is your kind of lonely time. And then you're in the studio, breaking down the walls, getting creative, getting deep. And then you're out there playing it to the world and touring. And then you just, it's just repeat, 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 which is a really nice trinity of experiences to have. But I realized I hadn't actually got off that train for 10 years, nine years, 10 years. And actually, I mean, I hadn't even really been on a holiday. I think I'd had like one holiday with some friends, you know, so I kind of was able to really settle back into just being me, but I got pretty itchy pretty quickly. And that's <laughs> when I made the covers record. So I was, cause I kind of was like, maybe I'm not going to dig deep right now. doesn't feel right at this moment. And I feel like I won't be able to do it, but what I can do is take a bunch of other people's songs and I can kind of use that as my bassist and just try some production chops and have like a good time. And that was actually just such a good way of being able to feel busy, but like in a really relaxed, enjoyable way. So that was a kind of a bit of a lifesaver actually during that time. Let's play another song from this album and thinking about the string arrangements and the orchestral vibes and the ways that you stretched in the studio. Why don't you pick a track for us using that frame? Oh, um, well, I think it has to be the ground because that's the complete embodiment as a track of everything I've just been talking about. Like it's the doorway, although this, for this feels more like coming up over the brow of a hill and looking down at the rest of what the record's going to be. And I think it's like foreshadowing everything you're going to hear across the rest of it and opening up the world. And I had never really written a track like this. Like I'm such a song focused writer. I care so much about the quality of a song that it was actually really liberating to kind of play around with the idea of an instrumental and not feel that pressure to have to put melody and words to it and just let it be how it is. opens up the new Marika Hackman album, Big Sigh, her fifth full-length album and first album of original material in four years. It's called The Ground. Just such an incredible invitation into this album. Like you just immediately kind of go, oh, you know, like it, 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 <laughs> it, it like really did. It kind of like just took my breath away in that first moment. Great. So mission accomplished. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> So I wanted to spend a little bit of time, if you don't mind, talking about Shiro's related stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most annoying question ever being, what's it like being a woman in music? I put that in all the air quotes. What's it like <laughs> being a queer woman in music? Air quotes. But that is what we're here to explore. Yeah. And obviously, 
the answers to that question, there's so many overlaps, as I even touched on earlier today about production spaces and lack of visibility. And then there's, you know, different experiences based on who we are as people, unique people. Yeah. So just kind of in broad strokes, what's your journey been like? What's your experience been like? Yeah. What can you share with us? It's been a really interesting one because obviously I started a fair while ago now, but it's not that long, but you know, it's sort of 10 years, maybe it's maybe even 11 now. God, it is 11. Um, that doesn't feel like a super long time ago, but it also feels like it was really, really, really different, especially to be a lesbian. It felt like I didn't tell my manager when he's, we started working together that I had a girlfriend and I've been with her for like two years because I just felt, I don't know, like scared. And I think I was really scared that it would define me too much. Like that would be it. And that's all that would then be talked about. And we wouldn't be focusing kind of on the music and it would just be like, oh, there she is, a little lesbian kind of thing. So it's like crazy to me now just to think about that. Or like I had an interview on the radio for the BBC when I was just starting out and it was on Valentine's day and the DJ, she asked me who my ideal Valentine's day date would be. And I hadn't even like thought that any kind of question like that would be asked. So I kind of just froze and then said that it would be my dog, Margot. Cause I was like, I just didn't want to say, Oh, my girlfriend <laughs> probably. And I, I kind of was even running through like list of men that I thought were maybe quite attractive in my head to say. And I just, I look back on that now and it's like, that's just great. It's just crazy to me. I mean, I guess I was young as well and I was like pretty fresh out the closet. So that's, has its own set of, yeah. of challenges. Yeah. But also I wasn't seeing it around me a lot. You know, it wasn't like I grew up listening to loads of queer women making music. It was pretty, pretty slim pickings. So yeah, that was kind of the beginning. And then my whole first record is about queer longing, obviously. Like <laughs> when you look back at it, I never like went into those themes, honestly, when I was talking about that record. It's fun to be able to do that now, especially because I just feel so like looking back with such fondness of myself as like a 21 year old. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like ultimate queer longing. Like, well, yeah, I didn't speak about it, but then the, the turning point was when I did Boyfriend for the second record when that came out. As it often happens, lyrics just kind of jump out at you and they just fell onto the page. And I decided, well, I'm, those are really good lyrics. I'm not going to get rid of those just for the sake of, I don't know, feeling a bit shy. And then, yeah, we put out Boyfriend and that whole record suddenly became like this real step into the ring with some confidence. And it felt like a lot of other people around the time, it was like this little shift forward. Like everyone just kind of like puffed out their chest a little bit. Right. It wasn't like this huge fanfare. But there was this kind of like underlying feeling of 
support. And I was hanging out with, you know, all of my friends who are musicians and they're all queer. And it was kind of realizing suddenly like, oh, I'm seeing them all around me now. Yeah. So now I can be the one to be seen. And hopefully, I mean, a huge part of that as well is like, it's showing the younger generations Oh, here we are. It's, we're all here. If you see yourself in me, that to me feels like such a massive win for me and society because it's like, it's just a, a constant step forward. And I think it's going to be over the next 30 years or so that we see like true, proper change and equality and integration because it will be the, it's got to be those generations that have grown up being told this for their whole lives and not us who grew up bowing to sort of societal norms and now are turning around and going, no, 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 but actually, you know, this and that and this. It's like, it's, we're doing all of this work because that's when it's going to really actually count and feel properly settled, I think, is mm. the thing. But yeah, in terms of the rest of my journey, I mean, it's been, I've had a very wonderful career. And I, like I said earlier, I feel very lucky. There's been like challenges and there's been moments that have felt sort of like I felt a little bit like a fish out of water, but actually generally, like I've always just had very, very supportive people around me. And I've felt the industry kind of giving back on that as well, which is really lovely to feel sort of slightly cradled in that way when you're doing something and it's so sort of emotionally on a knife edge for you. So yeah, it's actually, I've, I feel like, you know, it's all salmon swimming upstream, but there's always still more work to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. And I hope that, you're right. I mean, I kind of have that feeling, too, about the next generation. Who was it who was just saying something to me about that? Like how you can't see it because there's always like it's it, you can't see what they're seeing, you know, two rows back or two rows ahead of you. But then once you yeah. get there, you know, but it's like, you know, having done this job and been in the music world versus a musician then as a radio DJ since, yeah. you know, whatever, like the late 80s and yeah. 90s, you know, and like I was, I lived through the Lilith Fair era and Ani DeFranco and Riot yeah. Girl and so many moments where we were like, finally, yes, you know? Yeah. And then only to like feel like, oh, fuck, we're still talking about this, you know? And yeah. and like, it's really funny to me, like, and that's why, I mean, I, I love doing this because the different generations that I speak with, depending on who it is, like I talked to a Liz Fair and she's like, oh yeah, back then it was so hard. And these kids, man, they got it so easy now. And I'm so glad, you know, like we've come so far and we have come so far. But then I'll talk to somebody yeah. like a Lindsay Jordan and she'll be like, you know, she's like barely in her 20s. And she's yeah. still saying, you know, some of the same stuff we were saying. So not to be like a downer about it, but I'm just saying like it does take time. And each each generation, you know, it's like we're like like you said, it's we're fish swimming upstream, but we're getting there, I think. Yeah. And it's there's also it's context as well, you know, sure. Like, and that's what you're saying. It's like, you only can see it through where you are and, and exactly yeah. that, like, well, this was my experience 10 years ago and I can now see that I can see that shift. It's like how a woodlouse perceives time in such yes. a different way because yes. they're so small that their days go yes. <laughs> so much longer. Totally. It's kind of like the more you're around, the more you see that growth. And yeah, I, I, there has been such a growth and that's really positive, but I can also see why 
it's still like, okay, <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> Let's go back to uh, the album for a minute. Why don't you take us to another track on the album? And Ooh. it's it's always my impulse to try to like weave it into the conversation, but I don't know if there's anything in there that would relate to queer love. Oh um, yeah, well, queer love is, that's gotta be slime. Right. That's about me and my partner getting together. And it's all, you know, we're always in this big lesbian web of stress. So it's always going to piss off like a bunch of people. Um, so that happened, but also it was all for the best. <laughs> and it's about that journey, really. The lust and the damage and the fun. And then, you know, it's always OK in the end because everyone just talks to each other and whatever. <laughs> Slime, the new album by Marika Hackman. It's called Big Sigh, her fifth full-length studio album. She's our guest today on Shiro's and I'm Carmel Holt. Man, it is so fun to spend time with you and talk. I feel like I could talk to you all day. Um, I'm going to hand you the Shiro's magic wand, Marika Hackman, and say that with this wand, you have the power to change anything in music, in the music industry, for women, for queer folks, for non-binary folks, what would you change for us? It's a big responsibility, this one. I know, I know. It feels a little heavy, right? It's a little heavy. It's quite heavy. Yeah. Because it also, you know, narrowing down to one thing. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I've been known known to give a bonus wish, so feel free, you know, first thing or two that pops into your head. I think what I would wish would be that, all of us queer folks could relay our life experiences within our art and our music, but sexuality not be the conversation around it. To just feel fully, fully accepted and related to without it feeling still somewhat other because we have to just then discuss the extra layer on top, if that makes sense. Also, you know, having much more representation for women and non-binary people, you know, in production and live and stuff like that. But there's a deeper, and that's what I was saying, I think about that next generation down, like that's truly what I feel like will happen because it will be so instilled in everyone to just be accepting and not having to make it into a kind of a conversational point all the time. Totally. You know, I, I wanted to ask you this before and I and I forgot to dig into it. But just as you're mentioning it, what does your own crew and team look like now? Like, have you found that you've been able to be a little bit more intentional with that? Like, where are you with that now? 
So with my band, I have my drummer and my bassist are both queer women and really fabulous friends of mine. And then I have a lovely male guitarist and sound engineer. It's very, very difficult to find female sound engineers. I used to work with a lovely, a lovely one called Brian October. She's fantastic. So they're out there, but it's just few and far between and they get, they get snapped up because they're pretty fucking good at their jobs. And then my team is actually, my management team is like just super split down the middle. Everyone at the label. I feel really, again, I just feel so lucky. Like I feel there's just such a amazing amount of like female energy flying around with the people that I work with, whether it's kind of on stage or, you know, sending emails back and forth. Like it's just, it's really great. And I mean, it hasn't always been like that, but certainly in the last like five years, I've just been riding that wave and feeling fabulous. <laughs> Amazing. Marika Hackman, thank you so much for being with us today. Congratulations on Big Sigh. How should we go out today? What's our final track? Oh, that's also, a, feels like a big responsibility. Um, let's think. Well, actually, maybe it's fitting to have the final track as with the final track from the record, I think, because it's a real winder, winder downer <laughs> and a downer. Um. <laughs> it is one of my favorites, too. I have to say I have it highlighted here. Yay. Yes. Oh, brilliant. OK, yeah. well, then, yes, perfect. So, yeah, The Yellow Mile. It's another sad breakup song, but it's again, it's got that slight sense of relief to it. I think that's why, you know, the album's called Big Side. It's all about kind of relief and release. And it's like the show me the bones that we buried outside. No home grown this is better it's like that acceptance that things can be wrong you can move on and that's okay that is life so yeah the yellow mile bite my head off spit me out you pick me up just to take me down looking up at the ceiling cracks I'm a woman on my but gold was in your mouth A heavy yellow smile I wouldn't change the past I was happy for a while But I can't believe I loved you Drunk when the lights went out Time cannot wash my With thanks once again to Marika Hackman. Thank you so much for being with us on Shiro's. What a pleasure. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I've had a great time. Come back soon. Yeah. <laughs> Many thanks to Marika Hackman for being with us. Her extraordinary new album, Big Sigh, is out now on Chrysalis Records. Shiro's is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. Shiro's is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit shirosradio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiro's shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.